Hello listeners, welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 95. Hello, how you doing? It's been a while. It's been three weeks, I apologize. I had grand visions of somehow pulling off a podcast from my hotel room in Fairbanks, Alaska. But that didn't work. Even at the last minute, I remembered and I brought a computer with me. I wasn't going to... I also had grand visions of making a week-long trip to Alaska without bringing a computer. That didn't work either. Uh, I'm glad I brought one. But I did not get around to doing the podcast, so we have a rare three-week gap. A lot has happened. It's hard to process it all. I've missed you guys. I hope everything's going okay. It is day 483 of my quarantine. I still feel quarantined. I took two trips. Uh, It was like a a quarantine reprieve, I guess. It was weird. Nobody wears masks in Fairbanks, Alaska. That's not entirely true. They In the grocery stores, about a third of the people wear masks. But obviously in restaurants, bars, everywhere else I went, there were no masks. Uh, it's It was solstice, which in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is about 80 miles below the Arctic Circle, means 24-hour daylight. It does, you know, the sun sets, it goes underneath the horizon, but it never gets dark. About 2 a.m. It, it, it dips, but uh, you can still see there's daylight all day, 24 hours. And so consequently, people are outside a whole lot. And boy, are there a lot of mosquitoes. Oh my God, so many mosquitoes. I think my bites are mostly gone now, but every day I got about another... Five to ten mosquito bites. Um, I'm getting off topic. Anyway, yeah, so I am back, and I, I I felt good to be living a life not thinking too much about the pandemic, but, uh, you know, you get on the plane, the airports, the airplanes, you have to wear masks 24-7 in the airport still, and my flight up there was long. It was kind of a nightmare. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. And Delta on my phone was like, your flight's delayed 12 hours. I was like, wait, what? And that was my flight out of Boston or out of Raleigh. <laughs> I haven't was in Boston in decades. I don't know why I said that. Out of Raleigh. And that what means I would have missed the one flight a day that Delta has from Seattle to Fairbanks. So that means it would have been 24 hours late. And they rebooked me. And I was like, well, you know, sometimes they rebook. The thing about rebooking on an airline is they have to do it forward looking, right? So if your flight's at seven and they're going to rebook you, my flight was at 7 a.m. Uh, they can't, they won't book you on a 6:45 if that's the best flight. They will only look forward later. So if you get a rebooking notice and it's early enough, like in this case 4:30 in the morning, sometimes if you rush over to your computer and you look, you can find a better deal. And I did find one that physically flew there that left at 6 a.m. But it was about 4:45 when I was doing it. It's 20 minutes to the airport. I didn't think I was going to make it. It was also like 1,500 bucks and it was on a different airline, so it's going to ruin my return trip. And I did a bunch of other looking, and the one that they picked for me was actually pretty good. It got me in seven hours later through Minneapolis instead of Seattle and I just decided to suck it up it was a little bit of a bummer because we had dinner plans me my sister my parents my mom and my aunt and uncle Uh, so we had to postpone that at night but it worked out uh it's too late for my sister to pick me up because it's getting in at 9 15 now she has a new baby so she couldn't come so my my uncle jack picked me up which was great he <laughs> he took me there are no rental cars in fairbanks right now so you can't get a rental car hurts closed enterprise closed. everybody's gone it's kind of ridiculous uh so he took me to the hotel i checked in and then we went to pike's landing and had a beer it was one it was wonderful 
um, I was going with something with pandemic on that front. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. So anyway, the flight up was, you know, about 12, 13 hours in airports. Cause I had like a four hour layover in Minneapolis and you have to wear your mask the whole time when you're on the property on the plane. I don't disagree with this rule still. I think it's actually wise, but it is, it's hard to wear your mask for that long. Uh, and then the flight back was really quick. It was only like eight hours. So that wasn't a big deal, but you know, I'm getting back on the plane coming home and I get back into the mask world on the, in the airport. And I'm like, yeah, this is better. <laughs> I feel better being around these people with masks and reading about the Delta variant and kids and 88% protection rate was good, but not that good. And then, you know, they, they, they're not certain, but they think it's possible that vaccinated people can pass the Delta variant to kids. My kid isn't vaccinated, blah, 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 blah. I enjoyed the trip. I enjoyed my trip to Boston, but I'm going to stay home for the foreseeable future. I think leisure travel isn't really on my agenda for the next year. I know a lot of people disagree. Your results may vary, especially if you don't have kids. I certainly understand if you're vaccinated, you're doing leisure travel to places where the Delta variant isn't big and there are high vaccination rates. You do you. But until my kid can get a vaccine, I think I'm more or less home. I might have to go to New York for work. That's a different story. That's work. That's very different than leisure travel. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, all of that is to say it's still day 483 of the quarantine and the pandemic for me. I guess I should take seven days off of that. It is also the three-year anniversary of this podcast. Uh, it was last week in June, June 28th, I think. Uh, my friend Kelly just texted me and said Lana Del Rey is dropping a new album on the 4th of July. That is very exciting. Literally just texted me as I am writing this. Uh, yeah, anyway, went to Alaska for a week. It was pretty intense. We had my dad's funeral. That was very intense, uh, very emotional. A lot of people there hadn't seen it in a long, long time. Uh, old family members, Jack Randolph, uh, you know, <laughs> my dad's partner on the police force at the airport 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, old Lions Club members, church members, the woman that sang the songs at his funeral was a woman that I used to sing with when I was a child. Like, it was intense, man. Old teachers, old friends of my parents, uh, some, some friends of mine and Val's, my friend Frank came, my friend Chandra, Jamie. That was really nice. Uh, it was intense. It was, it was a good time. It was not a good time. We had a big family meal afterwards. Uh, I met some second cousins, I think they are. The children of my first cousins. I had never met them before, even though they're basically 17 and 18 years old. Uh, <laughs> I met some of my cousin's spouses. Uh, that was good, too. And then we went to Ivory Jack's afterwards. Then we had the dinner at the pump house. We went to Ivory Jack's afterwards. A lot of old friends in town. That was really amazing. Uh, I've been going back to Fairbanks pretty regularly, but I go back in the winter usually. Part of it's the cheap flights. Part of it is that I don't want to waste my summer. Part of it is that my mom gets really depressed in the winter, and it was better to see them in the winter. Part of it's like I want to make sure I'm still a man and I can handle the cold, some morbid curiosity thing. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons. I've just been going back in the winter. I haven't been back in the summer in like six years. And even then I only went to Anchorage. I don't think I even went to Fairbanks on that trip. So been even longer since I, I've been to Fairbanks in the summer with Emma, but only once it was probably about 10 years ago. And, uh, the thing about going in the fair in the summer is that there's a bunch more people. A, there's a bunch more people in town that are visiting like me. And then B, the people that live there are more social because it's summertime and they're not holed up in their house depressed. So I saw just, I saw so many people I hadn't seen in decades. I saw like 
several good friends from high school I just haven't seen basically since high school. Uh, I saw Robin. She, I saw her once in Fred Meyer in like 2004 or something like that. And that's the only time I've seen her since high school or college. I saw Athena. I don't, we figured we haven't seen each other in like 30 years. I saw Val Lord, who's absolutely one of my best friends in high school, and I haven't seen her in decades. That was all amazing. Carrie Hillard, same thing. I mean, it's just Vern. It was amazing. All these people that were some of my best friends. Uh, and definitely, you know, I have like the, the my my daily Facebook posts. I have to thank for that. Some to some extent, people have been reading them. I definitely have social media to thank. I've been staying in touch with them more because of social media. Part of it's me. I used to go up there and people would be like, "Oh, drop a line," and then I just wouldn't do it. And then I missed one. There was my friend Chris. She was like trying to get coffee, and I was trying to get coffee, but. It didn't work out, and I'm really bummed about that. So she's on the list for next time. And also, like, last time I went, last year in February, right before the pandemic, when my dad was ill, uh, I only saw my friend Frank Spaulding. I saw him again this time. I see him every time. Uh, but uh, I didn't go see my friend Chris. And then Chris moved to Minneapolis, or back to Minnesota. I don't know if it was Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I don't know when I'm ever going to see Chris again. And it was just because I was too lazy to drive up. <laughs> to his house slightly out of town. <laughs> I mean, that's not entirely true. My dad was unexpectedly in the ER and everything was really intense and we were arranging for his hospice and such. It was, it was a hard time, but uh, I regretted it. And so I vowed this time, I was like, I'm going to see everyone I can. And I mostly did. I almost saw everyone. I saw Rochelle. I saw Derek. I hadn't seen Derek since a little bit later because he lived in Boston for a while. So I don't think I've seen Derek since like 97, 98. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was great seeing all those people. Uh, I did a lot of driving around. I stayed at Sophie's Station, which is the hotel that I used to work at. I was a house cleaner there with this girl, Julie. And, uh, you know, I have fond memories of that job. I, I'm very fascinated with hotels and travel. It's in my family. My dad and my grandpa used to own several motels, crappy ones. He wasn't like Andre Balzus or anything like that. <laughs> he owned crappy roadside motels. Uh, but you know, I loved, I liked that job and Julia was really cool. I didn't, we weren't ever the closest of friends, but I really liked her and she was super cool. Uh, so I always stay at Sophie's. The other reason is practical. They have kitchenettes and, uh, they know what they are. There's like a couple fancier quote unquote fancier hotels in town that charge a bunch of money, but they're really just glorified motels that have a nice lobby. And it's like, if I'm all the rooms are just the same, the Sophie's rooms are actually better because they're suites with kitchens and living rooms and they're cheaper. So Plus, I don't want to eat at McDonald's every morning for breakfast when I have a kitchen. So the first thing I do is I go grocery shopping, you know, stuff like that. And then I just drove around. I drove by every one of my old houses, old places that I remember just driving the streets, trying to see if you can remember how to get from here to there, trying to remember how Hagelbarger and McGrath connected up to Farmer's Loop, stuff like that, you know. All the old houses are there. They put an addition on the Hilton Street house. It's got a garage now. It's probably 800 square feet now. <laughs> that house is so small. I swear to God, my studio is bigger than the home I was born in. Uh, that's probably not a coincidence. It's probably some sort of neurosis from childhood. Anyway, uh, yeah, a lot of driving around. My sister would drive around with me. My mom and my sister and I did a long drive up the Fox and all the way down to Salcho past Isleson. That was really cool. My sister and I drove out to the Tanana, back behind the airport. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was really, it was really good, you know. Um, it was good seeing my mom. That one was like less pressing than everything else because I'd just seen her for two months uh, and I talked to her on the phone a lot. I knew she was doing well because everybody's been telling me she was doing well, but it's good to see it for yourself. So that was, that was good. Uh, but Jack and Fred and Bonnie, my aunt and uncle and aunt <laughs> had seen Bonnie last visit in February, but I hadn't seen Jack in quite a while. Uh, he passed through here in my house, maybe two, three, four years ago. Um, 
And then my dad and I saw him on the Alaska to Chapel Hill drive we did four years ago. So I've seen him, you know, a couple times recently, but not, not recently enough. So it's good to see everyone. Uh, just, yeah, you know, was, uh, by the end, it was a seven-day trip. I was definitely getting a little ready to come home by the end. Mostly, painfully, I just missed my, my wife and child. I would talk to them every night on FaceTime. And, and then, like, it was like this whole thing, like, Abby, our friend Abby was visiting for, like, almost a week. And then and Nick and Megan, who've been here a few times. I've seen Nick and Megan with some regularity through the pandemic. They live in Wilmington. They had a camper. They've been camping in our driveway. I've talked to you guys about that. Uh, but they're all here. At my house with Emma, you know, Abby came down to help while I was away. Uh, and I did see Abby when I got home, but it was really weird after the pandemic for so long just being alone to be like, I'm overburdened with social obligations. I have to be here in Fairbanks. I have to do this funeral. I'm seeing all these people I can't see, I haven't seen in decades. But at the same time, there are people I really want to see that are at my house <laughs> right now. It's a feeling I used to get all the time. Like, oh God, do I go to the birthday party in Seattle or the rock show in LA tonight? You know? Uh, but I haven't felt that way in like years and it was, it was very disorienting, kind of good, but also kind of FOMO-y. That was an interesting feeling, but yeah, I, I got home, uh, Sunday. I was very, very jet lagged. Abby was still here. I was kind of useless. Um, but you know, it was good to see her. I had seen her up in Boston. We had gotten dinner and my first meal out in the world a week or two earlier. So that was good. But, um, they had been going out of the house. Jane had been eating some meals outside uh, yeah, you know, we went, all went and got a burger and ate it outside and, and like, <laughs> Jane, <laughs> we had her so trained before the pandemic for like sitting at a table through a whole meal and while well, the adults talked and ate afterwards and she can't do it anymore. I mean, she could probably with a coloring book or something, but, and she was also just so happy to see other people when the pandemic started, she didn't really care about other people very much. She was just starting to pay attention to them. But now she's so excited to see other people. She just would go walk around the restaurant and go, hi, hi to everyone. <laughs> and that was when I first started. I was like, well, maybe this pandemic did affect her a little bit. Maybe she does need to see people. I might have to. I don't know. Emma was saying the other day, she's like, we're both going to say like, oh, we should probably send her to preschool. But neither one of us is going to get around to doing it. And she's so right. Like, I think it's probably better, but I don't have strong enough feelings to actually do all the work. And Emma probably feels the same way. I don't know. I don't know. We're definitely not in a rush, that's for sure. And until she gets a vaccine, it's kind of a moot point. Uh, yeah, but otherwise, she's doing good. I missed her a lot. We would kiss and FaceTime, and she would kiss the phone. And Abby got a little video of it. It's really cute. Uh, she's much more conversational. Every time I leave, she feels like she's aged. <laughs> Uh, I mean, she just, you can just talk to her now, like, you know, almost like, not like an adult, but it's, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's, it's intense. And then I got home and I did three bed night, bedtimes in a row. Emma was exhausted and overworked. Jane had been a handful while I was gone and, uh, she just got a ton of work. And so she was like trying to do all this work. She, you know, Janet helped. She stayed over at Grammy's twice. But uh, she was she was pretty like exhausted when I got here, so I just did the next three bedtimes because I missed Jane. I could I'm doing bedtime again tonight. I'm excited about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back home. It took a while. Like you get home and you have a routine and everything's kind of broken. You don't have your groceries or people have moved stuff while you're gone. And it took like three or four days to get back into my routine. And the whole time I was in Fairbanks, I was like, I love this, but I want my routine. I want my routine. And then I got back and I was like, oh, the routine's not right. This frying pan's in the wrong place. So this has been washed or we're out of turkey or whatever. And then I slowly got it all back together. And then I'm like, oh God, now I'm just back in this routine. What have I done? What do I have to look forward to now? <laughs> Green grass syndrome, man. It's a bitch, let me tell you. Uh, and then her oven broke. 
not our big oven. We never use it. We have a little oven. It's called a June. It's a mid-sized oven. It's much bigger than a toaster oven, but it's smaller than an oven. It heats up really fast. It's convection, conventional, roast, broil, air fry, everything you ever want. It's it's smart, which is probably why it broke. I wish it wasn't smart. I wish it just had a dial or something, but it's fantastic, and we can't live without it, and it's dead, and it's a whole thing. Uh... I'm, their tech support's okay. I'm working with them and they're trying to figure it out. Uh, I haven't dropped like names or anything yet. I sort of know the CEO from back in the day when he worked at Dig. He was a client of mine. Uh, but at the same time, also because he's a client of mine, I sort of know him. That's why I have a June oven is because when they first launched, I got one at a steep discount through his personal email list. So like, I don't really know if that's like going to work in my favor or not because it's like one of the oldest models. And I didn't really pay full price for it. So I don't know what's going to happen. <sighs> but I miss that oven. Emma misses it even more because she never uses the regular oven. And then Jane couldn't handle it. It was breaking the routine. She was like, you got to put the waffles in the oven. I'm like, I can't put the waffles in the oven. I got to use this toaster. And she's like, you can't use the toaster. You must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. So that took a couple days for her to get used to. And yeah, but I think more or less we're back into the routine. I also made the fatal mistake the day I got, well, not Sunday, the day I got back, but the next day. Sunday was just completely fucking jet lagged. Left Fairbanks at 1030 in the morning and got to Minneapolis and it was a five hour flight. So, you know, I was stupidly, they don't serve drinks, pre-flight drinks in first class anymore. And that used to be my approach on red eyes. I'd get in my seat and they'd be like, you want anything to drink right away? They would serve you a drink and I would just down a glass or two of wine before we even took off and then I would just fall asleep. But this time I was like kind of absorbed in my book and like I, I wanted, I, I, I had some pills I needed to take, like my nightly pills. And I was like, I'll wait until they serve the drink. And that was like an hour into the flight. So then the most I was going to get was four hours of sleep on this flight. And I probably got like two and a half or three. And then I landed and had a very quick turnover, like an hour. And then the flight from Minneapolis to Raleigh-Durham was like two and a half hours. And I slept for most of that. So I probably got like five, four or five hours of sleep at all. So I got home and I was like, you know, I was functional, but not really. And I took a nap and the day was kind of wasted. And then the next day, I stupidly, Emma's like, oh, great, take this baby. And I'm like, well, I can't quite take the baby yet because I stupidly made a doctor's appointment for today. And I forgot why, so I couldn't stick up for it. And I got to the doctor, and they're like, why are you here? What are you seeing your doctor about? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> and then I remember when he came in, he's like, do you not want this? And he, I remembered he was giving me a shot for my finger pain, my trigger finger. And so he did, and it was pretty crazy. He sprayed this freezing stuff on it, and it froze my skin, and he jabbed a needle into my bone and injected it with a bunch of opiates and steroids. And he said it would take six hours to feel better, and it didn't. It took two days. It does feel better now. Uh, it's interesting. The pain is gone, but the trigger is still there. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be exercising it or not. So I got to, like, talk to him or a PT or something. But it's better. It doesn't hurt anymore, so that's pretty cool. He said it would last about a year definitely worth it and then the other thing i think i'm going to do with him is we're going to do a blood test because we're trying to get insurance approval but i'm going to take semaglutide aka ozembic it's really for originally it was for i think uh, diabetes or something but it is in fact a miracle weight loss drug <laughs> average weight loss is 17 percent of your body mass in a month and a half so sign me up so i'm going to go on my diet and take that it's a weekly injection you gotta go to the doctor for a weekly injection but if i qualify and it's free why not right i don't know everybody it's approved by the fda for this use it's not off label uh everybody says it's a miracle 
And I kind of believe in destigmatizing the thing because I think that like this could be a game changer in America with our obesity epidemic. And I'm deeply curious. And mine's always right on the edge of obese on my BMI. And uh, so he thinks we'll probably qualify. I got to go get a blood test. I haven't done that yet because I got to fast and I got to fast, which means I got to do it first thing in the morning, which means I have to rush and do it when I'm either doing my good morning post or I'm watching Jane. I haven't quite figured out the logistics of it yet. I should have done it today, but I overslept today. Uh, so anyway, I want to do that. I think it'll be really interesting. I'll keep you guys apprised, but the, the plan is to start that shot and start my diet again. Uh, I did gain some weight in Fairbanks, but I immediately lost it. So I'm back down to my normal weight. I've been all this year, which is too high, but not going up. So that's a thing. That's good. Uh, work is going well. You know, I've been only been back for four days. Uh, I was up last night tossing and turning about a work plan. So this morning I wrote it all down, like sort of a project charter vision statement sort of thing and realized I needed some legal guidance on it. So I rubbed the lawyers in on it today just because I don't want to pitch anything that would be problematic from a legal standpoint. So I've been doing that. Uh, Apple AT&T is not great. The, the transparency, privacy stuff. It's yeah, we, we're feeling it. It hurts losing some money. Well, it's not going to put us out of business, but it's not great. I'm still pretty pissed at Apple about it. Don't feel great about it. It's also a new quarter today, so new quarters are always a little low, so I'm just like, ugh, the revenue's in the shitter today, but it'll bounce back. Um, but, you know, our other revenue, our Nimbus revenue, is doing really well, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, gardening is a little rough. I've been doing a good job, and Abby was here, and she's a gardener. Some of my brassicas, you know, the deer have just been devastating stuff. The brassicas are all done. The lettuce, the cauliflower, Abby had to kill off the rest of the cauliflower because it was getting some moths or something. And the deer ate everything else. The beets are gone. The carrots are okay. The radishes, maybe. Uh, but all the Napa cabbage, all the bok choy, all the lettuce, all the broccoli, that's all gone. Um, but everything else is kind of doing okay. Uh, I looked at my growing calendar in mid July is when you start doing seeds outdoors for your fall plant. So not this weekend, maybe next weekend, maybe the weekend after that, I'm going to replant the beets and the lettuces and the broccolis and the cabbage and the snow peas, everything. And, uh, I got a bunch of netting and I got, I got screens for my whiskey barrels and I'm going to do it again. And I feel good. It was all going really well. It's just that the deer ate it all and I'm going to protect it all from the deer this time. I got like big nets for my birdies beds and everything. So I'm going to just do round two. Right now I'm feeling a little dispirited. I've been harvesting a ton of peppers and the tomatoes, by the way, they look great. That's, the cucumbers could be better. I'm a little surprised. I usually have an easy time doing cucumbers. But I got one cucumber so far. I should have had like 10 or 20 by now. I don't know what's up with that. But I have a ton of tomatoes. Those are going really well. The loofahs are doing really well. Uh, the grapes and blueberries are, you know, it's going to be a year or two, but at least they're growing. Uh, I, I don't know. B minus is maybe what I'm giving myself for the state of the garden right now. It could be better. I'll get back into it this weekend. Um, but most of this weekend is going to be spent. I might, I might just basically actually this weekend, I'll probably just water. I might not even make a video and really kick back in next week and I plant stuff. Nobody watches the videos anyway. <laughs> I think I like 12 views. So it's not like anybody's going to miss them. Uh, but this weekend, I'm going to rearrange the studio. I got the plan worked out. I don't know where I'm going to put all the stuff that's going out of the studio, but I know what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to suck it up and do it. I've consulted with them. I made that PowerPoint presentation. I told you guys all about that. So this is the weekend, man. After all these months of thinking about studio reorganization, I got three days, and I'm just going to just gonna plow through it. I'm just going to do it. It's going to hurt my back, but I could use the exercise. Lift with your legs, Rick. Lift with your legs. 
uh, writing, actually, that's one more thing that's very exciting. The writing's been going well. I've had a few really good, I don't know, I feel like I'm on a good roll right now with my morning Facebook posts. Everybody loved the one about my father, of course. Of course. I mean, that's not a given, but it was really nice, you know. And um, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes the people don't like the ones I do, but I've been very happy with the project lately. But I just worked out a deal with a friend of mine to help me convert them all into the book. The Good Morning, Hello, How Are You Journal of a Plague Year book uh, that will sell exactly 14 copies, but I don't care. It'll be another book done in my life. It'll be my fifth book. Uh, so I feel good about that. Um, yeah, she's really excited about it. We worked out all the terms and stuff, everything today. I'm going to get it to her this weekend. It'll be months. I mean, the thing is 500,000 words, and I told her to chop it down at least 50%, probably more. Uh, but that's good because she's just going to keep the good parts and it'll have like a second pair of eyes on it. So it should make a really compelling read by the end. Not that anybody's going to want to relive their plague year. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, maybe in 200 years, <laughs> a historian will find it useful or something like that. Right. I don't know. Uh, but I'm excited about it because it, it's, it means that I wasn't completely unproductive through the pandemic. So that makes me feel pretty good. Uh, I sold two books from my personal storefront on Squarespace while I was in Alaska. That felt pretty exciting. Uh, and I said, I made another 100, 120 bucks this month off of my royalties on Amazon. So, you know, not nothing, but <laughs> slow and steady, right? Uh, and I did hear from the guy from Japan about the Trek book, but we haven't picked it back up. We keep like, I said, hey, how are you? And the month went by that he said, hey, how are you? And then like, it's like our schedules don't align. We should try. We should really, maybe I'll get, I don't know. I need to pick that back up. Uh, anyway, that's what's going on in life. Let's turn to the media report, which is oddly long for how I was away for a week. But also I was listening to a lot of albums before I left. And when I got back, uh, added a few things to Plex, Il Postino, The Postman, uh, The Book of Life and The Girl from Monday to Hal Hartley Films just came out on Blu-ray. I ordered those. Hal sent them to me. I uh, ripped those. They're up in Plex. Uh, Colette, the Kira Knightley version, and Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. I was writing about that in my Facebook post, and I was like, I think about that film a lot. I should own it, even though I will probably not rewatch it. Maybe I'll rewatch it. I don't know. We'll see. So those are all up in Plex. If you're a Plex person, I didn't sell anything on Discogs because I turned the store off before I went to Alaska. That was a wonderful reprieve. I just turned it back on right before I started recording this podcast. So maybe I'll sell some stuff today. We shall see. I got a lot of vinyl. <laughs> I guess it's three weeks worth, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, seventeen pieces of vinyl. That's a lot. Five a week, five point three a week, <laughs> five point six a week. That's too many. I need to stop buying so much vinyl. But anyway, we'll go through it. The Arms of Someone New. I've talked about them a lot. Yeah, 80s goth band from Urbana, Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Uh, that became the moon seven times. Is that right? Nope, totally separate. Eh, maybe there's some overlap. I can't remember anymore. They had two albums. Uh, the other one I talked about a couple weeks, a month ago. This guy that I got their other album, Susan Sleepwalking. It was great. I love that band. I am the biggest fan of the arms of someone new in the world, except for maybe that guy at Walter Foods that plays it. <laughs> I think it's played at Walter Foods a lot. Or it did six years ago. I want to go back to Walter Foods. 
The Wedding Present, Hugh Stevens Sessions, a 10-inch single where they just did some of their songs and some covers. It's got a cover of Our Lips Are Sealed. It's pretty good. Uh, the Mountain Goats new album, Dark In Here, one of my favorite of the innumerable new Mountain Goats albums. I got a lovely blue transparent vinyl edition. Uh, direct from Merge Records, located in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, just 10 minutes away. Actually, that's a lie. They are now in Durham. I've been to their office with my friend Og. Uh, but yeah, I really like the new Mountain Goats record. I, it's solid, and it's kind of dark and goth, and I'm into it. I think that guy is secretly trying to tell the world he's a goth. What with that album and goths and a song about Andrew Eldritch from the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> uh, Japanese Breakfast, Jubilee. I've talked about that when I listened to it, but I got the vinyl. Beautiful record. Uh, the new reissue of Pure Phase by Spiritualized, one of my all-time favorite albums by my all-time favorite band. Spiritualized are reissuing their early albums. I already owned them all on vinyl, but now I own them all on vinyl again. We talked about Ladies Laser Guided Melodies about a month ago, and now Pure Phase. Uh, I reiterate that Spiritualized is selling period-specific merch from each of these albums on their website, which is awesome. I got a Laser Guided Melodies t-shirt and a Pure Phase t-shirt and a Pure Phase coffee mug. <laughs> I wrote about this today in my daily email. If you are not a reader about how these totems are really like magical items for transfiguring your grief that you feel while listening to sad music into items that are physical that you can control, therefore, therefore controlling your grief and not letting it take you over. I thought that was a really good theory. It just kind of came out of me this morning, I'm, I'm, but I'm bought into it now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, he's got new album covers on both of them. The Laser Guide Melodies one is white. The Pure Phase one is green. Don't really like them. I like the original artworks better, but they're nice. They're good pressings. They sound great. Uh, the Doors self-titled album. It was a Vinyl Me Please monthly selection. I went and looked at the other selections, and I was like, eh, yeah, all right, okay, I'll take this Doors record. And I listened to it, and it's The Doors. And, you know, they're kind of a dumb band. Uh, I feel like their reputation has gone through like, you know, they had this really big reputation that they didn't deserve. And then everybody one day was like, the Doors don't deserve that reputation. And then the Doors reputation went kind of in the shitter. But now if you listen to the Doors with their reputation kind of in the shitter and you'd imagine them being like a band you could see like locally, they're pretty good. Like if the Doors were a Boston band in 1993, I think I would have been kind of into them. <laughs> uh, I got a bunch of Swans records. Well, actually I got two Swans records. I ordered them from... Michael G. Robb, the Swans, uh, directly from him. I got the Glowing Man, finally. I've never owned it. I always meant to buy it. And so I was like, uh, he had been sold out for quite a while, and he got a new batch in, and they're signed. So I got that, and I got a repressing of Children of God from him that was also signed. Uh, there's one more still in back order, uh, which I already own, but now I own all the Swans records again, so that's good. Uh, and I also got the Blu-ray of the documentary. Where did the body end? Which is sitting right here and has a ton of extra footage on it, but I haven't ripped it or looked at it yet. So that's kind of exciting. I'll like get some really good Swans live footage. I hope it has a whole concert from the music or from Bowery Ballroom. It's in the movie, the documentary. The Bowery Ballroom show is in the documentary, and Ben Palmer and I went to that show, and it was great. And so I'm hoping there's a lot more footage of that. Uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. <laughs> Uh, reminder, I sort the new arrivals on Discogs by price, filtered by the ones that are on my want list. And if something I want is on there and it's very cheap, I will buy it. This showed up for like three bucks. 
a girl doesn't get killed by a make-believe lover because it's hot. It's 12-inch single. I owned the CD single back in the day, and I always loved it. It's a baby, baby, don't you know? I want you everywhere I go. Baby, baby, kiss me now. That one. Because it's hot. I really am going through a thrill kill cult revisitation. I really like their stuff again, and I'm unembarrassed about it, and I think they're great. <laughs> so that was really good. I'm excited to get that 12-inch. Uh, I just was looking up on Discogs because I was throwing the B-side of that Daisy Chain for Satan onto my industrial dance playlist and Spotify, and I noticed they've just been putting out records. They have a record from 2018. I think uh, next week or so, I'm going to listen to like the nine Thrill Kill Cult records from the last from the 21st century that I haven't listened to. So I'm pretty excited about that. Sharon Van Etten has an album out called Epic 10. It is the 10th anniversary of her album Epic. And she is re-releasing it. And it is duh, two, two pieces of vinyl. One is the album Epic. And the second one is the album Epic covered by a bunch of other people. It's really awesome. Shamir, Courtney Barnett, Idols. I love it. It was awesome. I, I I didn't really listen to Epic. I got into Sharon Van Etten less than 10 years ago, and I never went backwards, so I haven't heard Epic either. It's a great record, and the covers were awesome, so that was really, really satisfying. Uh, I got the new St. Vincent on vinyl finally. I had ordered it before I came out from Vinyl Me Please, their special edition, because I like the cover of that one, and uh, I've listened to it, and I've talked about it on the podcast, but the vinyl finally showed up. It's really nice. Uh, good color, uh, special cover, comes with a centerfold. <laughs> a, it's a gatefold edition, and the inside photo on the gatefold is her lying on a bed reading Playboy, and B, it comes with a literal centerfold of her. She's not naked or anything, and it's only a bifold, but it's obviously meant to evoke a centerfold, which I thought was pretty clever, since she's going for this whole CD 70s vibe. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice pressing. And then uh, Alan Vega, just finished listening to this right now. Mutator, it is a uh, came out on Sacred Bones. I got a whole shipment from Sacred Bones, and uh, it's awesome. It's like Alan Vega. I think it's outtake. It's from. It's like a from the vault series, the first edition of from the vault of Alan Vega. You know, people like him are productive. They probably recorded a ton of shit. And uh, yeah, that is really good. Just listen to it. Uh, Emma, Ruth, Rundle, and Thou. I've talked about them a lot. I fucking love them. Thou is a death metal, black metal band, and Emma, Ruth, Rundle is sort of an ethereal, shoegazy vocalist. And the album May Our Chambers Be Full came out almost a year ago, and I just spoke the world of it. It's one of my favorite records of 2020. And I finally got it on vinyl from Sacred Bones, also because they just released an EP together, The Helm of Sorrow, that I have not listened to yet. Might not even be new. I intentionally didn't listen to it on Spotify. I was waiting for my vinyl to arrive, and it just arrived. So I'm going to listen to that today. Very excited about that. Two pieces of vinyl from Emma Ruth Rundle and Vow. Uh, the Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai soundtrack They're from the Jim Jarmusch film. Sacred Bones released that, so that came in that package. Very excited about that. Haven't listened to it yet. Nick Cave's Carnage finally got sent out on vinyl. Uh, I'm going to try and listen to it again with open ears. I've been a little mad at Nick Cave lately. Uh, and then, yeah, he's, he's kind of pissing me off with his anti-PC bullshit. The guy needs to get his shit together. But uh, I'm going to try and listen to the album as a work of art independent of that. Uh, and then my friend Gareth Kay, who is awesome and keeps sending me gifts, and he is much better at going to record store day than I am. I tried to, I thought about trying to go this year with Jane, but it was not practical. And I was in Boston, and then I was like, oh, I can do it in Boston, but that didn't work out. But he got me the two records I wanted, which was the Flaming Lips Soft Bulletin Companion and Echo and the Bunnymen Live in Liverpool. I have. I listened to Echo and the Bunnymen live in Liverpool millions of times. I owned it on CD. I sold it a while ago. But uh, 
Never owned it on vinyl, so I'm a little excited on that. The Soft Bulletin Companion I have not listened to yet. It came the day I was leaving for Alaska, and I am listening to all my records now, but I am stupidly listening to the reverse order of since they've arrived. Uh, and then the last thing that arrived, and I haven't even opened it yet, but I've listened to the record a bunch, is the new Matthew Deere record. It is a old recording that he found in a closet, and it's like... A <laughs> I mean... I really admire people that are this productive. There are no records of mine hiding in closets that I thought weren't quite good enough years ago and then pulled them out and was like, oh, actually, this is really good. But apparently that's what happened to him. The album is called Preacher's Sigh. Preacher's Sigh and Potion. Lost album. Uh, and he found it and he was like, this is good because it is good. It's kind of a weird Matthew Deer Meets Country record. Uh, I may have already talked. No, I didn't. It came out on Spotify while I was in Fairbanks. I'd been listening to the singles, the advanced singles, but I had listened to the whole album while I was in Fairbanks. And the vinyl just showed up yesterday. I haven't even opened the package on that one yet. So that is all of the vinyl that showed up while I was gone. All right. Let's see. Other albums I listened to while uh, over the last two or three weeks. Candy, candy bars. Candy bars, man. I was super into this band. I forgot all about this. On Cutting Tigers in Half and Understanding Narration. Not narration, narration. On Cutting Tigers in Half and Understanding Narration by Candy Bars. They were a 2006 band from Tampa, Florida. Uh, Saying that, uh, oh no, my wife was in Gainesville in 2006. Never mind. Uh, They're not really connected to anything. I don't really know how I first heard of them. Uh, oh, I own the room. <laughs> I don't own it. it. It's in my iTunes. I was remember you may recall right before I left, I was listening to just my old iTunes library on random and they played a song from this and I was like, this is really good. What is it? And it was like candy bars. Never heard of them. Looked them up. They had a really good review in Pitchfork when the album came out in 2006. So my theory is back in 2006, there were people at Barbarian Group that were reading Pitchfork. We had a joint music server and I think somebody put it up, Kenji or Philip maybe. And said, this is a really good album with a new Pitchfork review. And I was like, oh, that sounds like my alley. And I copied it, but I never got around to listening to it. I think that's why it's in there. But yeah, this band, this album was really good. I looked them up. The, drummers, the drummer died. None of them have done much since. Uh, so yeah, drummer died in a motorcycle accident in 2012. And that was posted on their very sporadically updated Facebook page. It looks like they were pretty popular in Tampa at the time. I think maybe like a close analog would be something like the Drop 19s in Boston. Really, really good shoegaze band. Got a little bit of notice nationwide and then just kind of disappeared. I'm still in touch with most of the members of Drop 19s, but you know, most people forgot about them. Uh, but yeah, same thing. Candy Bar's really good. Uh, the album's on Spotify, on Cutting Tigers in Half and Understanding Narration. Strong recommend. Uh, Anal Narakath. Codex Necro. Black, 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 black metal. Uh, this band's been around for a long time. They've got like five albums, apparently. I just saw some passing review of a reissue of Codex Necro, and it was like a landmark of the black metal scene. And I was like, well, I've never heard that. So I gave it a listen, and yeah, it's an awesome black metal record if you're into that. I never liked black metal before. I mean, I was pretty into Cradle of Filth in like the 90s. I saw them once. It was insane. Uh, and I read that Lords of Chaos book back in the day about the black metal scene, Burzum and all that. But I never really liked most of it. But in the last few years, I've just been really into it. Uh, I don't take it too seriously. I just listen to it in the background. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And then I just, I, I interact with it on a superficial level, but I love it. <laughs> uh, such small hands. Okay, so 
the aforementioned Gareth Kay sent me a copy of the wedding present performing live Sea Monsters for its 30th anniversary. It was a live stream that I did not get to watch because live streams are a pain in the ass because they're at a specific time, but they're also in your home and it doesn't work with me and a kid. So he knows this and he sent it to me and it was great. I enjoyed watching the live stream and I was like, that bass player is different. There's a woman in the band. Her name is Melanie Howard. She plays bass. Uh, apropos of today's daily Facebook email about all tomorrow's parties, also from Gareth Kay, the, there's an oral history of the music festival, all tomorrow's parties in vice this week. And I read it and wrote about it today. Uh, when I was at one of the eight All Tomorrow's Parties I went to, it was the first one I ever went to. It was at Camber Sands. It was the Slint All Tomorrow's Parties. I met the woman who used to be the bass player in the wedding present. We're sitting around drinking with her and this guy. And they're just cool people. And me and Og and, and, and Ben were drinking with them. And finally, I was like, what do you do? She's like, I'm a musician. And you're like, any bands ever heard of? She's like, well, I was in the wedding present for a while. I was like, oh, I have heard of the wedding present. And I was like, so are you the woman that sings on this song and this song? And she's like, I am. So she was like the Watusi era into like early Cinerama. And I was like, I have so many questions. It was great. I would ask her all these questions about, you know, David Gedge and early wedding present and Dahlia. Not early, mid-period wedding present and Cinerama and that song that's like the chorus. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's Vava Voom. It's like, that's exactly why you love me. One of the things I love about that song is that's the lead song, the lead lyric that David Gedge sings. That's exactly why you love me. No, I'm sorry. That's backwards. The lead lyric that David Gedge sings is that's exactly why I love you. And what she sings is that's exactly why you love me. And it's very subtle, but it works really well. And I was talking to her about that. Anyway, right before I went to Alaska, I'm watching the Sea Monsters 30th anniversary show. And I'm the bass player. And I was like, oh, that's a different woman, right? Because the woman that I was talking to, she's not in the band anymore. I was like, so who's this new one? And I look her up and her name is Melanie Howard. And she's got her own band and it's called Such Small Hands. And I just go into a hole and I listen to Rabbit Hole and I listen to a bunch of their stuff. She's got some live videos, some kind of like, uh, apparently David Gedge did a festival at Concord 2, which is the venue in Brighton, England on the beach where Og and Ben and I saw the wedding present right before we went off to all tomorrow's parties. <laughs> Camber Sands, the Cecil and uh, during the pandemic, apparently I missed this, even though on the wedding presents email list and a million other things, he did a, like a concert there to no audience, like a live stream and such small hands. Melanie Howard's band played there. So some of those videos are on YouTube. She's got a couple actual music videos. She's got a few videos of her singing in her house. She's got two albums on Spotify and I listened to it all. The albums are called carousel in the raw home session or carousel. Oh yeah. Sorry. The album's called carousel. And then she's got, a version of the album where she redid it at home called Carousel, The Raw Home Sessions. And they're both really great. Super melodic and mellow, pretty, the solo on the home sessions, band on the uh, other stuff. And I'm just really into Such Small Hands. Strong recommend if you like melodic, kind of slow divian music with a lady singer. Uh, Tom Pollen, Car Crash EP, dream, top, dream Pop Duo with a Man and a Woman. Really liked it. Don't remember tons about it, but I enjoyed it. Dinosaur Jr.'s new album, Sweep Into Space. I liked it. It was a little bit boring, but I feel like if I listened to it super loud, it would be great. So my plan is to listen to it really loud next time I'm in a car or using my headphones while gardening tomorrow, perhaps. Uh, my old friend Jen Sutkowski from Boston lives in Idaho now. I reviewed, quote unquote, one of her, her bands. She has a band. I reviewed their album a while back. But uh, my friend Emily told me about her solo stuff. And she's got a solo album. It's on Spotify. It's called Natural Impressions by Jen Sutkowski. I liked it a lot. 
very sort of atmospheric, uh, minimalist with her singing. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Melodic, pretty into it. Ethel Kane, uh, Inbred is the name of the uh, EP. They have a song called, uh, I cannot talk today. They have a song called Michelle Pfeiffer. I really liked that EP. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it sounds like, but I really liked it. <laughs> There's a new Melvins working with God. Fun rock and roll album. Really good. My baby, fuck around. You fuck around. Yeah, I really like that record. Uh, the Melvin, though, I just said that. Julian Baker, Little Oblivions. That was fantastic. Uh, I've been listening to Julian Baker albums for a while. Never really broken through my conscious fully into being like a hardcore fan, but I always liked the records that I really liked Little Oblivions. Just just beautiful. Uh, I listened to the album called The Stino, self-titled. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> Listen to the new Tomahawk, Tonic Immobility. Excellent rock and roll record if you're into that sort of thing. Really good. Hattie Cook, Blissland. I really like this album. It was like mellow, synthy, groovy, electronic, uh, more like synth pop, mellow synth pop. Uh, it was really good. Really into it. New Lou Barlow album, Reasons to Live. Loved it. Better in the last two. Not as good as Emo, but I really love Lou Barlow and what he's doing. It's the strongest album in, I would say, almost a decade. Very good. Uh, Dolly Mixture, Demonstration Tape. So this is weird. I got, I got on the K Records mailing list because I buy all my Mount Erie from them. And they were this long essay about this band, Dolly Mixture, one of the most influential bands you never heard of, that sort of thing. And I was like, I haven't heard of this band. I, I Okay. And they're like, never put out an album, but they did finally collect everything on this compilation called Demonstration Tapes. You should listen to it. And I'm like, I will listen to it. I listened to it. I loved it. It's like, this reminds me of a lot of bands I really like. Heavenly, uh, that new Fight Milk band. I was like, and the voice sounds really familiar. And I, I, I mentioned this in passing in one of my daily emails. And the two people that... Obviously, in hindsight, we know a lot about this, both chimed in, one being my old band member and good friend, Aug Stone's like, I've been talking about this band for a decade. Why haven't you been listening? And I was just like, what? You have? I didn't even realize. And in a way, I kind of did because of what the other guy said, my friend Mick. Uh, makes like an old rock and roll journalist and he was like, yeah, okay, so Dolly Mixture, that band features Debsy who's been in this insane Etienne for you know the past decade and I was like, look, I know who Debsy is, man. I am on it as a Saint Etienne fan. I've seen Mick at like four Saint Etienne shows in New York over the last decade <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is Debsy's old band and oh yeah, Ugg loves Debsy. Oh yeah, but I do not recall ever being hearing about this band Dolly Mixture and they're really good. And they're right up Ogg's Alley. They're like girl pop punk. And uh, they're, you know, they, they're great. They sound like they could be on Sarah Records in like 1988 or something. No, 1993, we'll say. But uh, yeah, it's great. Dolly Mixture. I'm really into them now. On the singles front, there I listen to a ton of singles. I'm not even going to go through it all. But I will say that the new low single is batshit and amazing and awesome. And there's a new idol single that I really like a lot. And if those two are indications of their new directions, I am very, very excited. That's just going to rule. Uh, TV. Before I left, I was watching The Bad Batch, the Star Wars animated cartoon. I told you guys about that. Have not watched the new episodes, but I'm happy that I had that in my note here because I will probably watch one tonight while I'm watching Jane at bedtime, even though I don't think that show is really kid appropriate. But if she's over coloring or playing with Legos by herself, I might sneak one in. Uh, Emma and I are still working our way through Mythbusters. We watch one or two episodes a night. It's 
very wholesome and satisfying. Although it's interesting watching, I think we're in like 2002 or something, three, maybe four, maybe, I don't know, early 2000s. And like, there's like stuff that would be considered problematic now. Like they went to a civil war recreation in, in San Francisco. And there's a bunch of Confederate flags. I bet that wouldn't fly in the Bay Area now. You know, <laughs> Stuff like that. It's interesting, like how much things have changed even in 15, 12, almost 20 years. Uh, we're watching Lego Masters. It is entertaining. I like Legos. I think Will Arnett is hilarious. I'm not as compelled by any of the contestants this season as I was last season, but I think they've taken it up a, up a notch on the build challenges. <laughs> uh, I'm watching Loki, just caught up last night. Uh, it's not true, two nights ago. It was kind of nice. I didn't watch last week's episode when I was in Alaska, and then I couldn't watch it when Abby was still here because she hadn't watched the first two yet. So I didn't watch it till Tuesday night, and then I was like, oh, it's a cliffhanger. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. There's Wednesday's the next episode, so I got to watch it two nights in a row. I do not like having to wait a week. But it's also kind of fun. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Uh, but I'm enjoying that show. It will all depend on where they land it. But they've set up some nice stuff. Uh, Hacks. We're watching the Gene Smart show. It, I like it, but it's cringy because the young protagonist is borderline intolerable to me. But <laughs> And we're three episodes in now. And I'm like, they need to like start bringing this around to like, you know, real stuff somehow. But And they did a little bit towards the end of this episode. But uh I'll keep watching it. It's right borderline, though, for me, being a little Curb Your Enthusiasm-y where my empathy kicks in and I can't, it gets too cringy and I cover my eyes. Uh, that does happen at least once per episode, but by and large, I can get through it. And it is very good, so I'm sticking with it. Uh, and Sweet Tooth. I finished that right before Alaska. I had been bitching about the narration, and I stand by it. The narration's garbage. It doesn't need to be there. But the show actually landed really well, and in the end, I look back upon it fondly, and I really liked that show. So I feel like I've said too much negative stuff about it. But uh, there's a lot to like, and it was a little... I was like, oh, I don't know. This is a little, like, where the wild things are. Arcade Fire, Spike Jones is a little bit too much. Yeah, a little too cutesy. But they pulled it off, and I liked it. And I felt something at the end, so that's good. Uh, when I was in Alaska, I watched three movies. So this happened last time in February too. They have stars at the hotel. They don't have HBO. They don't have Showtime. They have stars and they only have stars. And so I just watch every night when I get home for whatever I'm doing, I just watch whatever's on stars. <laughs> and this time it was Forrest Gump, which I'd never seen a little rapey, a little, my friend, after I said this online, was like, you know, if you watch that movie through the prism, of prism, the prism of white male privilege, it's just really painful. And I was like, wow, you're totally right. Like the white guy just stumbles through life and succeeds everywhere. Me and one of the woman just like has misery upon misery heaped upon her. Not into that. Uh, but I get why everybody liked it. It's still a very unique movie. Like even watching it in the year 2021, you're like, wow, there's no other movie like this. So it's, you know, it's got something going for it. Uh, Scary Movie 4, which was borderline unwatchable, but I guess that's the whole thing. It's for teenagers and bad jokes, and it's like the airplane of the modern era. I had never seen any scary movies, so I was very confused. <laughs> and I was a little drunk. <laughs> but that made it kind of entertaining. What if I had the IMDb trivia to help me? <laughs> and then... The new so I read about this one too. Monster Hunter, the new Mila Jovovich film collaboration with her husband, Paul W.S. Anderson. Not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson, the acclaimed Oscar winning director. Paul W.S. Anderson has probably grossed in his films four times as much money as Paul Thomas Anderson. But nobody talks about him because he's made Monster Hunters and four, uh, what not Mortal Kombat. What, 
uh, Resident Evil films. He met Mila Jovovich directing the first Resident Evil film. There are like five or six. He did four of them with her. They got married. They have an amazingly fruitful, if not critically acclaimed, commercially successful creative partnership. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with it now. I think they're an amazing couple. I hope they're very happy. But uh, yeah, they, they together they did this new movie, Monster Hunter, that is also based on a video game I've never heard of. It was really bad, but also I was a little drunk and it was kind of awesome. First Resident Evil was okay. I used to go to see these with my friend Mike, and I think it was the second one, maybe the third, we were in and we were like, this is so bad, and we just walked out. It's the only film I ever walked out of. I kind of regret it now, but uh, yeah, I, this one was, I wouldn't have walked out of it. It was kind of, I had Ron Perlman in it. <laughs> it was it was, it was was bad, but entertaining when you had a couple beers. Uh, yeah, so Monster Hunters, Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila Jovovich. Uh, books. I finished two books on the trip. They were both about Joan Robinson, the Cantabrigian economist. I wrote about this extensively, but basically Joan Robinson is the woman who incor first incorporated successfully advertising into her economic model. She took the Marshallian model of classical economics and she realized its limitations. Uh, she was at Cambridge, but not a professor. She was married to a professor. Yeah. Austin Robinson, and she was friends with the other professors there, John Maynard Keynes, uh, Pigou, Arthur Cecil Pigou. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she she wrote a book called uh, The Economics of Imperfect Competition, and it was the first book to incorporate advertising into their model. Basically, that's what's going on. Uh, there's a man at Harvard named Edward Hastings Chamberlain that wrote sort of a simultaneous discovery book that was also trying to bring... Uh, Marshall's classical theory of economics into reality by acknowledging that we had imperfect competition. He called it monopolistic competition. Their books came out at the same time. They're often equated with each other. There's a lot in common. Joan Robinson's book kind of won. Uh, but for, for advertising purposes, Edward didn't really touch a little bit on it. He did talk about product differentiation, which is very interesting, but she talked about advertising. And so anyway, that's why I first learned about her. I was reading her biography because I was reading Keynes's biography some time back and it was talking about what a profound influence Joan Robinson had on him and also how much we have her to thank for Keynes, Keynes's influence. She's one of the three economists he thanks in the book. She is also perhaps second she's known for a lot of things first you know economics of imperfect competition secondly for her works uh explaining Keynes general theory to the public she was the one that realized like that the battle was not going to be won amongst other professional economics is going to economists is going to be one amongst the students she wrote the textbooks she uh you know did a lot of sort of like explaining his theories things like that and then the 50s she wrote a book that sort of took Keynesianism into the long term she was very much considered like she should win a Nobel Prize, but she never did. And the conventional wisdom is twofold. One, she didn't win the prize because she was a woman, but also because she got really into China. <laughs> she was really obsessed with China. In her later years, she was an uh, economist at Cambridge. She eventually achieved full tenure and she became a renowned economist, even though she just started as a lecturer who was married to an economist. And she... Uh, was very obsessed with China, not unreasonably and not to the exclusion of other countries. She was also ex very interested in the economics of India. She had a very, she was instrumental in helping the Indian government sort of like become a capitalist society. She helped Pakistan out. She was interested in China. She was interested in North Korea. But with the Cold War and sort of McCarthyism and everything, her interest in China and her several visits there, and, you know, she kind of bought their propaganda a little bit. Not really, but a little bit. 
Uh, it was considered unseemly, and it's often sort of used as the reason why she never won the Nobel Prize. Uh, so I was curious about this, and oh, Jesus, I just I was so curious, I, I peeked the mic. Anyway, I was curious about this, so after reading her biography, which is called The Provocative Joan Robinson, The Making of a Cambridge Economist by Nahid Alzenberger. That's not, uh, Aslan Begui. Nahid Aslambegui and Guy Oakes. Uh, it was referenced a lot in the footnotes of the Keynes biography, so I wanted to read it. It was a great book. Also made me really realize what a love affair she had with this other famous economist at Cambridge, uh, who was Keynes's right-hand man, and so that was kind of eye-opening, and it's all very scandalous, and there should totally be a TV show or a biopic about the whole thing. Never mind Keynes and the rest of his glamorous friends, right? But, um, you know, so I was like, okay, so why did she not win the Nobel Prize because of China? What's up with that? And then so I read this book, another book called Making Sense of Joan Robinson in China by Pervez Tahir, who is an economist. He went to Cambridge. He held the Joan Robinson Chair of Economics at Cambridge. There's a chair there named after her. And he is Pakistani, and he is an economist for the Pakistani government. He is very deeply engrossed in in the economics of developing nations, and he was asked to write the survey of Joan Robinson's work uh, in China, and he did, and it's great. Um, so basically, you know, like some of the critiques are reasonable. She was studying, very interested in sort of like farm collectives and cooperatives and the specific organization of these things. And she kind of missed all the internal politics that were happening, right? Like she would acknowledge that they don't feed public statistics and they might be feeding her lies, but she's like, I don't really have a choice. I'll just take them at face value. So she missed the great famine. She missed all the sort of like civil war within the communist party during the great leap forward and, the, and all of that. She just kind of ignored it because it wasn't really what she was there for, but she would write these essays and they were not in economic scholarly journals. They were in like travel and in like cultural journals. And like, she would say that like, Oh, I don't know. I don't think there was a famine and later on in life. She's like, there was totally a famine. I was totally behoodwinked by them, you know, but she like, she hung out with chairman Mao and shit, you know? So like people are like unseemly, she cannot win the Nobel prize because of all of this, except if you look at what her economic theories for the whole thing was she was like china's a huge deal and someday their economy is going to be more important than america's that was her central thesis like and even in this book i'm reading that was from like 2017 or something he's like ha 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 she was so wrong and it's like yeah no she wasn't dude <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's hilarious to read it now it's not hilarious but you know it's Interesting to read it now where this woman did not win the Nobel Prize in economics because she said China would be a big deal is essentially what it came down to. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so anyway, now I understand all that. There's a whole th additional component where she was also very interested in the developing economy of North Korea and said that like, that might work out, and it clearly hasn't. So she was clearly a little bit wrong about that. But it's not like she was going around, what I realized, it's not like she was going around being a raging communist or anything. She was saying, like, if you're a developing country... Like capitalism isn't the only approach to rapid modernization and China is going to be a big deal someday. Those are her theories. And everybody's like, you're so wrong, Joan Robinson. Like, yeah, not a little bit sexist there at all. So yeah, cleared that up. There's one more book about Joan Robinson I want to read. I'm having a hard time finding it. It is at the UNC library. So I might ask one of my friends that works there to get it for me. Uh, that's my current plan. Got to do that next week. Uh, and then I moved on to the new Jill Lepore book. Jill Lepore, of course, wrote this wonderful new history of the United States called These Truths that I talked about about a year or two ago. It, it, These Truths is one of the bases, bases of the 1619 Project, which is so controversial, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote her defense of the 1619 Project, Jill Lepore's These Truths was one of the books she referenced to talk about how slavery was, in fact, a very big deal. Even in the Revolutionary War, she's not lying. Uh, 
Anyway, her new book is called If Then, and it's this history of the Simulmatics Corp. Simulmatics Corporation, which was an early, she calls it an early version of Cambridge Analytica and really tries to paint it as like the beginning of all the data mining badness. And it maybe theoretically is, but they failed so completely that that central thesis of her book is a little iffy. And honestly, the Simulmatics Corporation doesn't really matter at all. It's not really interesting. But what I'm realizing now that I'm like two-thirds of the way through the book is she's just really using the Simulmatics Corporation as the hook to hang this very interesting story about like America, computers, data, politics, the going back to the 1960s. And that larger story is very interesting. So after I got over the beginning of the book where I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I now find it very engaging. I'm not done with it yet. And God knows when I'll finish it. Cause I haven't read a page since I got home, but I do really enjoy it. So, uh, I will finish it and it is better than I thought it was going to be. That's it. Sorry for the one week delay. Just about an hour exactly there on the timer. Uh, thank you for listening. Drop a line. Let me know how you guys are doing. I hope you're doing well. Have a lovely 4th of July holiday. That was, door was my wife squeaking in. So I will say hi to them and talk to you soon. <laughs>